Well, good morning. Good morning to everyone here in the church building and to everyone watching online as well. We're called together to be the people of God, whether we're here or there or anywhere. We are called by him. We're united not just in the place where we meet to worship, but we're united because of the one who calls us. God is with us, and God, according to the psalmist, is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. And we come to worship him. We come to ask his spirit to come and help us to worship him. If you're at home, you are welcome to sing, but here in the church we have to stay quiet. We can, however, rise to our feet, and if you feel led, you can move to the music or even clap if you wished. Our first hymn is the hymn, Come, Holy Spirit, Come. Let's rise to our feet. And we approach the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Yes, come, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. If experience has taught us in nothing else, It has taught us, Lord, that we need you. We need you because we cannot predict the future, cannot predict everyday things, and we cannot predict these massive things that are happening to us and to our society. Life surprises us. We need you because there is so much that we don't understand, so much that confuses us. We need you because if we are honest, we are weak and have so very little power over things. Come, Lord, and be to us all that your word claims of you. Come, be the one who holds the future. Come and be the all-knowing one. Come and be our strength and shield, our loving Father and our caring shepherd, our light in the darkness, our constant companion, and our saving grace. We pray now the prayer that Jesus taught all those who would follow him and our children lead us this week. Our Father, who art art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. 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 Amen.
Amen. Amen. Amen. The children, did you see the turtle? <laughs> there, were, there were scenes like that this morning around Bigger. I, I climbed the hill with the dogs this morning before coming to church and looked down over the town and I couldn't see the town at all. It was just covered in white, like cotton wool. Beautiful. We do have an amazing God. This morning we continue our journey through 1 Peter. We began this journey three Sundays ago with the greeting, verses 1 to 2 in chapter 1. And there we discovered who was writing the letter and to whom the letter was written. We were also led into the theme of this letter. So just to recap that, that section... First Peter was written by the Apostle Peter, of course. And it was written to the beleaguered Christians who were living in Asia Minor, which we know as Turkey today. And the theme of the letter is hope in the midst of suffering. We moved on from there two weeks ago to the second part of our series, to look at the next section of Peter's letter, which is a, a doxology or a song of praise that Peter bursts into. It's a statement of who, from God's perspective, these people to whom Peter is writing are and what God has done for them. We saw how Peter says that by God's great mercy, his readers were born, in, uh, born again into a living hope. And these people who had probably lost all their inheritance, all their earthly inheritance when they believed in Jesus, now had a much more valuable inheritance kept securely for them in heaven. In the bit that we'll be missing out, chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, Peter further extols the great gift of salvation that God has lavished on all Christians, but especially what he has lavished on these folks to whom he is writing. Peter says it wasn't the prophets or even the angels to whom God revealed his full plans but it was to them, and it was to us, them and us who live in the time after the cross and after the resurrection, in this time when the world has been changed completely by those events. And so this morning, we move on to the third section of this letter, where Peter, having expounded upon the truth of who these folks are in God's eyes, the great things that God has already done for them in dying, in the dying and the rising of Jesus, and what it is they have to look forward to in the coming kingdom, Peter now goes on to explain how they should therefore live in a world that is full of suffering and persecution and the unknown. 
how they should therefore live. Mike is going to bring us our reading from 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in a reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so that so your faith and hope are in God. Thanks be to God for this reading from his word. Amen. Let's pray as we turn to reflect on this word that's been read to us. Lord God, thank you for times and people who have experienced your presence with them in difficult times. Lord, we too face our own challenges. We ask that their experience of you might be ours as well. Help us to learn from your word and apply it to our lives. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> There's a pattern here in 1 Peter that we find through all the, the letters of the New Testament. And the pattern is this. Every commandment Every call to a change of behavior, every call to action is always, always preceded by an explanation of what God has done, what God has done in the past, and what he is up to in the present. And we are always told that we can be trusted that God will be and do what he has been and done in the future. 
It's a shame that when most people think about religion, they think only about the commandments. And they fail in the case of the Christian religion to see everything that precedes those commandments. For you see, what precedes the commandments is the vital part. For a lot of people, religion is about me doing And then maybe if I do well enough, God will reward me. But the truth in the Christian religion is just the opposite. It is that God has already lavished a great reward on me. A a reward that I do not deserve. And I therefore obey his commandments already having been had this reward lavished upon me, already having received the, this greatest gift that I could never, ever hope for. The primary actor in the Christian life is not you, and it's not me. It's not the saints of old. It's not Peter or Paul But the primary actor in the Christian life is God himself. God acts acts first. And we, whether we are Peter or Paul or Joe or Margaret, we respond to his action. God opens the door and we walk through. God makes change possible and we allow that change to happen in our lives and in our world. This is what makes the gospel such good news. Our religion is not a list of commands that only superhumans or the most dedicated can achieve. Our religion is about what God has done for Everyone, no matter our ability. But what God has done, especially for those who humbly acknowledge that there's no way that they could ever be good enough on their own. Here is the gospel, the good news. What we could not do and cannot do for ourselves because of our sin and our frailty, God does for us. And he makes possible in us by his gift of grace. The reformers put it this way. The indicatives of grace always precede the imperatives of faith. In other words, what God has done always comes and can only come before any action on our part in obedience to his will and his ways. And this is what we are seeing in the way that the letter of Peter is laid out. It's as if Peter is building a tower, a tower that he knows will stand the test of time, a tower that he knows will help his friends see themselves through this time of trial and tribulation. 
first in the tower. In verses 3 to 12, we have Peter giving us and his friends the foundation. And the foundation are God's gracious acts, past, present, and future. Peter tells his friends and us, because of God's mercy and gracious acts, we have been born again into a living hope. We have an imperishable inheritance kept for us in heaven. We have lasting faith that is more precious than gold. That is the foundation of the tower. Next, he builds on that tower. Peter gives us four principles for action. And this is our passage this morning. These principles for action. And thirdly, Peter will go on in the rest of the letter to give an indication of the specific actions that are needed in specific situations that his, his friends are coming up against. I find that people often want to jump to the third part of this tower, to the top of the tower, without building from the bottom. And that leads to a very shaky situation. No, we need the foundation and we need the principles before we can ever start to talk about action. And so we come to this second building block of the tower, principles for our action. This morning, I'm not going to cover all four of those principles that we find in the passage that Mike read for us. We'll look at one more next week, but this morning, I just want to concentrate on the first principle and that is found in verses 13 and 14, where Peter says, With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. When I think of action, I don't know about you, but I think of my hands and my feet. I don't think of my mind. But Peter says here, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope principle for action it comes with the mind the phrase that Peter uses here in the Greek borrows from an idiom in the Old Testament you remember when the people of God were to, told to get ready to leave Egypt they were told to gird up their loins they were told to hitch up their skirts and get ready to run God was about to make their escape from Egypt possible. But Peter is saying here, gird up 
your mind in the same way. He uses that language. But why is it the mind that we need to gird up and not our loins when we're speaking of action? Any sports coach will tell you that the biggest obstacle that athletes face are in the mind, less so in the body. Sure, the body is important for an athlete. It needs to be trained and fit and healthy. But many athletes are perfectly trained in their bodies but fail to achieve success because they don't have their minds in the right place. And Peter recognizes here that what his friends need in, in facing trials that they will inevitably face in the following days, months, and perhaps even years. What they need is the right mindset. What they need is to keep in mind all that he has already said to them about being born again into a new family. They need to keep in mind that they have a family where there is a gracious God as their father. They need to remember that they have a father who keeps an imperishable inheritance for them in a place that cannot fade or spoil. And they need to remember the joy that will be theirs when the reality of all that God has for them is revealed in the return of Jesus. The point that Peter is making is that a Christian, like a champion athlete, uses his or her mind in order to control his or her body. <clears throat> you will have seen this slogan by Nike, the company whose images, it could be argued, most represent athletic excellence. Just do it. Just do it. It's ironic that their slogan stands in direct contradiction to what makes a good athlete. But sadly, that is what sells products in our time and in our place. The executives of Nike know as well as I do that athletes don't just do it. They don't just wake up <clears throat> one morning <clears throat> and decide <clears throat> to go for gold. Champion athletes spend years in training in both their body and their mind. Champion athletes sacrifice for their goal. It takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to reach it. But most of all, champion athletes fix their minds on the final outcome, winning that event. Peter, in verse 14, contrasts the life that his friends should now live with the life that they once lived. It's a contrast between the just-do-it mentality and the gird-up-your-mind mentality. 
Previously, according to Peter, his friends conformed to evil desires. What are desires if they aren't that just-do-it kind of action? Desires come on you with no forethought and usually no planning, and they lead to action, but not the right kind of action. Desires don't come from the mind and from reasoning. They come from just the opposite. They arise, according to Peter, from ignorance. That, for Peter, is no way to live and no way to endure in a world of trial and suffering that his friends are facing and that we, too, face from day to day. Like an athlete, the Christian needs to engage his or her mind with an understanding of where it is he or she is headed. All our action, all the behavior of our bodies should arise from a clarity of thought and a sober mind according to Peter, all arising from that foundation of God's grace revealed to us in Jesus. Some folks think that faith is a leap in the dark, that it's something we do with our hearts and not with our minds, something we do without thinking. But not so for Peter. For Peter, faith is about engaging your mind in a reasonable proposition. Engaging your mind in, in something that makes perfect sense. And here, as elsewhere, Peter agrees with Paul. Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, in the same sort of passage that we're finding here in Peter. It begins with a, a therefore, just as our passage began with a therefore. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Does that sound familiar when we read our passage in First Peter? In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and reasonable worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Peter's encouragement to his friends in Asia Minor in the time of persecution, I believe, is just what we need in our place at this time. Especially in these days when so much of what we thought we had under control is slipping through our fingers. By God's grace, the one thing that we do have control over is our minds. 
we can when all is crumbling about us set our hope on the grace of God shown to us in the past here with us in the present and which is waiting for us in a glorious future let's take to heart Peter's process in his letter that process that we talked about before as we too think about our action and our behavior in our trying times let's spend time remembering what God has done and who we are in the light of his gracious acts and his wondrous mercy let's engage our minds with the principles that undergird our action and then and then let us act let us act that others might be blessed and God glorified in our lives amen and may God bless to us this reflection on his word this morning this hymn that in normal times we would worship God with our giving in the circumstances we can't do that in the normal way um, please do get in contact with myself or, or Jane who's the treasurer if you'd like to change your way of giving and maybe give um, through a standing order if you do still um, give through your envelopes then uh, give us a call and we'll arrange to have those picked up from you but we do appreciate all the support and giving that people are giving to us these days we turn now to God in prayer let us pray Lord we praise and thank you we praise and thank you that we have been privileged to know the open secret of your compassionate love we thank you that we are secure in that love and because of your great mercy <clears throat> we have been born again into a living hope through Jesus' rising from the dead Lord thank you that nothing and no one can take that from us and now with the knowledge that our joy is so solid and our treasure so lasting we want to turn our eyes and our hearts outward we want to show your compassion and your grace to others and so we now pray for our friends our families our communities and our world Lord God we remember our students away in college and at university just now dealing with this virus and the repercussions of it Lord God be with them in this lockdown this weekend 
We ask you to engender amongst them a supportive community. And let them know that they are not alone. We pray too for other communities in our nation who are experiencing special restrictions just now. Lord God, give hope and patience in this seeming unending crisis. And we pray for the poor and those suffering from other acute problems where the margin between life and death is so very thin. For whom this pandemic, worrying as it is, is the least of their problems. Jesus, you did not wait for things to get rosy in our world before you decided to come and to act. But you came in an age of poverty, an age of injustice, an age of oppression, oppression, disease, and despair. And in the midst of that age, you shone the light of God. You healed the sick. You gave hope to the hopeless. And you announced the year of Jubilee. Come, Lord Jesus. Do it again. Come, release the power of your spirit on our world in the midst of our problems. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, loving Father. Come and use us, your people. Use us who know your grace and know your power to be the heralds of your coming kingdom, even now in the midst of this pandemic. Lord, there is so much to worry about. So much anxiety going about just now. Help us to hear the words that you spoke to your disciples. That we need not worry. Because we have a heavenly father. Who knows just what we need. Lord, help us to trust, even at this time. For we pray in the strong name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. Our final hymn is the hymn, is an.